Hey everybody, due to some unforeseen circumstances, we were not able to record a new episode this week. However, we are still going to be re-releasing an episode. This one is going to be our crossover episode with Daryl from Anime World Order about the anime movie Spriggan. It is a very interesting movie, to say the least. Um, so if you have listened to it before, feel free to re-listen. If you've never heard it before, uh, which some of our listeners haven't yet, you should absolutely check it out. Um, not the movie, that is, but our episode. Anyways. Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to, to get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to a special episode of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. For real, this week, don't watch this one if you don't have to. <laughs> this week on Get Jumped, we are joined by special guest Daryl from the anime podcast anime world order and together we're going to be talking about the anime movie from 1998 spriggan and if you were thinking to yourself man spriggan i loved learning about cornish mythology get ready to get none of that today on our episode because it is a name for a character that why is he named it, this it doesn't make sense why it is he named this? this at all this must be a manga thing instead of what was included in the movie, because it doesn't make any fucking sense. Oh my god, let's just jump in. Um, so we are here this week uh, with Daryl from Anime World Order, um, which is really exciting for us. Um, I've been uh, checking out your podcast for a while, um, and so I threw it out there that maybe we could do a collaboration episode, and you were super down, which is... Uh, kind of awesome for us because you're one of like the big big podcasts on the anime scene. Really, like I thought the big podcasts on the anime scene were all like video YouTube things or what have you. Like we're still in audio. When you say you've been listening for a while, like how long's a while? Well, um, I checked y'all out uh, last year, um, so I I've been listening since last year. So. Okay, great. <laughs> well, no, no, that's awesome. I mean, you know, uh, the thing about our podcast that maybe. I don't know how many people listening to this would know, but I think uh, we've been around. I think we're now the oldest anime manga exclusive podcast because mm. we're now in our 13th year of doing oh this. We started in, yeah, I actually in uh, I started listening to your first episode today and it was like 2005. And I was like, oh, my God, that's forever. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like an old man. <laughs> relative to, to podcasting and even older when you go on to the YouTube side of it, which is kind of where like the, the teenagers are. But, you know, we like to always talk about ourselves as kind of like the velvet underground of anime podcasts. <laughs> Don't have the, the most following, but everyone who listened went and started their own band. And yeah. So, yeah. You know, I got tons say, of, like our listeners now make their own podcasts, do their own art, you know, work on their own animation, you name it. Uh, so we're we're lucky to occupy that space. I mean, for those who don't know who I am, I um, I'm also a writer for Otaku USA magazine, which, which is, is also uh, been entering like a milestone uh, as far as time around. I've been going to conventions now for over twenty years. Oh uh, God! And I've been an anime fan since roughly nineteen ninety two or thereabouts. So I'm not sure if I'm older. Uh, then like if I've been an anime fan for longer than some of you guys may be alive, uh, <laughs> almost I was possibility. three in 92. All right. <laughs> so you were, you're technically sentient. 
Yeah, I, but I was much more concerned with Power Rangers. I mean, it was, uh, I don't know, a couple of years later that we got Pokemon and Digimon and stuff, and I started to come into the anime fold. But yeah, that was a little predating my involvement. Yeah. Um, I know, yeah, and I just circling back, I, your podcast is definitely one of the big anime podcasts. I would say it is the only anime podcast that I can name off of the top of my head that's not my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, because I don't know if we're actually on the top of the iTunes ranks anymore because uh, the way the algorithm works, it rewards people who are consistent and like frequent in their uploads. And we are neither of those things. But <laughs> on average, like the, the running joke, we say, oh, it's updated every week, we hope. And for the last several uh-huh. years, it's been one episode a month, uh, which is about, you know, right for our lazy asses to... You know, I, uh, I I subscribed to your show today to try and get a feel for what you guys do, kind of similar to what you we were talking to us uh, before we started recording about our show. And uh, I was like, oh, it's just like over 100 episodes. That's not so bad. They, I thought they had been going for longer. And then it, it, the date threw me off and I was like, what the hell? This is so long <laughs> ago for like this number of episodes. I was not expecting that. So I totally see the what you're saying. The output should be way higher. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> what uh so how long have you been working for otaku and and how has that related to your anime podcast well it actually i've been working on it since issue one and the latest issue has Whoa. just come out and i'm still writing for otaku usa i latest issue i'm writing about jojo's bizarre adventure part five golden wind maybe you know something about oh. it oh uh, not yet um, we know we, something about up to part three halfway okay yeah, so you're, you're on stardust still... crusaders okay gotcha. yeah yeah it's been a it's been a rough journey through Startup Two series. It so has, far, yeah. JoJo's is not our type of anime. <laughs> we are struggling. Well, what's interesting? What's interesting is if you go back to our show since it's so long ago. In the earlier episodes, we were talking about JoJo's because we've been fans of it for so long. Because jo- remember, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is a, a manga that started in the eighties. Yeah, and yeah. so we were fans of this thing, and it was like this underground thing that people didn't know about and we were trying to convince people go watch jojo's please and it was like a very small but dedicated following in the united states for years and they'd released a prior anime and they initially tried releasing the manga once before didn't really catch on and only within the last you know a few years or so that the new tv show came out now jojo's is like this thing tons of people know about and so mm-hmm. it's kind of this weird time capsule to a forever uh, forgotten past when you hear us talking about like this this obscure thing JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And are you a uh, a JoJo's fan? I am a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure fan. I mean, obviously, if we're talking about it, um, you know, that long ago, it's just it's again, it is something that is interesting to see only make it to animation like in full decades after its time. I mean, most things that become, you know, anime adapted for manga, it's like, okay, manga's coming out, it's popular, it's ongoing, and now yeah. let's get this anime going. And so the people, like, it's, it's contemporary, right? But in the case of JoJo's, you're, you're talking about, like, this modern 2010s-style animation for a, a storyline and, and, like, narrative sensitivity or sensibility that's, like, 80s and 90s. And yeah, so you can see I how totally thrown off that. people would be if you're yeah. used to the modern contemporary jump story telling methodology. Uh, and this is like a throwback to like the before time era, uh, just to give some extra background on who I am. 
I also do like uh, panels at anime conventions and stuff like that. I've uh, done columns for the Anime News Network here and there, um, in addition to the podcast and what have you. And so one of the things that I talked about many years ago now at this point, it's kind of not really worth talking about anymore, but it was the basically the phenomenon that you guys are, are sort of put off by. It's the notion that the, the contents of Shonen Jump specifically, uh, but, you know, Shonen in general, has really changed over the years. It's like, you know, it used to be one thing and taking from one, um, you know, tradition and narrative. And then over time, they started to realize who was reading the comics and tailored their narratives accordingly. Such that, you know, nowadays the, the, the line between like what's a shonen versus what's like a shoujo versus what's seinen, like hard to tell. And a lot of times people are just like, well, what magazine did it run in? Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah. you know, you look at Shonen Jump and it's like Prince of Tennis is a shonen work. And it's like, really? You know, how many, how many <laughs> guys are reading this? Well, never mind that. You know, other, there, you see lots of things like that now, right? Don't yeah. don't worry about it. Don't I actually remember getting the first episode of Prince of Tennis, the dub, as like oh, a the, free the, DVD the one... in my Shonen Jump. Okay, yeah. I, when you said the dub, you have to specify for that. Because I'm the old timer, because I remember there was many years ago, one guy took it upon himself to fan dub the first <sighs> episode of Prince of Tennis. Oh, I want to watch it so bad. So uh, this is out there. You can find it of... You know, one guy who is not a voice actor or anything, he's just like, you brat, you better not chicken oh. out. Uh, and, and then he um, does this his best so to sing the Prince of Tennis theme song. Um, what? So when I hear the phrase Prince of Tennis dub, that's where my brain goes to. That's that awesome. Guy. He, he sang the theme song? Uh, he attempted to. I mean, you know, he, he gave it a, a, tr- a shot. The old college try. Yeah. Uh, oh my god, college, that sounds like a, a fucking gem. We have got to find that. <laughs> it's. Uh, I believe it is preserved on YouTube, though I'm sure that uh, the Shueisha lawyer bots are uh, vigilant in scouring it from online. But people, it, it keeps <laughs> yeah, they they don't want to lose all of those two dollars they might make off of Prince of Tennis in the American <laughs> market. But to get back to my point, like, you know, I would say around 1988, late 80s or so, once you started having things like, you know, this started kind of with City Hunter and Bastard and stuff like that. But especially once you got to to St. Seiya, that's when they really like editorially wise started to really deliberately have shonen titles, especially jump titles, uh, target not just boys, but also girls. Like certainly there were lots of girls reading Captain Tsubasa and things like that. Uh, I can't, you know, underestimate that. But like when you get to things like uh, St. Seiya and Kenshin and, you know, from there on, it's like, okay, this is uh, meant for everybody. Uh, That's part of why these titles got so big and successful is that, hey, there's something for everyone to love in this. And JoJo's is like started off as, you know, very Fist of the North star derivative. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then over time, the the author Araki kind of evolved and developed his own style and then they were like this says no um it, it's just so weird like it now is considered a seinen title runs an ultra jump yeah. uh at least yeah. last i checked uh, it's also really interesting to me that like 
Um, a meme created from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure has almost become more ubiquitous than JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Like the to be continued thing. Yeah, to be I've continued. You see that everywhere uh, because of yeah. the use of roundabout as the song. Like that's a famous song. Uh, you know, you yeah. thought it was this, but it was me, Dio. You know, like uh, that's getting <laughs> all over the place. Um, or that Dora the Explorer one. Is so I love funny. that. <laughs> right. I mean, that's just the nature of the Internet. I mean, how many people have seen uh, Firebird versus how many people have seen the Is This a Pigeon thing? You know, that's yeah. just the nature of like how ideas are spreading. And also just the fact that, you know, Hey, a lot of that, uh, meme culture originated from, you know, online anime fans, you know, now so many years ago. Yeah. Like the whole, the world of Reddit. Um, and 4chan before that, before it became a horrible cesspool. Yeah. Well, before it became a different horrible cesspool, let's let's be generous here. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Let's put this swamp in inside my of this day, other the swamp. horrible cesspool was this way. <laughs> uh, oh, God. I wish we could do, like, a whole episode of you just being an apologist for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, because it takes some <laughs> hits on our show. You're talking well, about, like, oh, I'll listen to the most recent episode. It's a JoJo's. And I was like, maybe that's not the right one to listen to. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, look, JoJo's has always been, like, this very weird polarizing thing. It's not like anything new for me to hear people hate on Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. It's a lunatic narrative uh, yeah. and it's, you know, got its own twisted sense of logic and, yeah. you know, the, the structure and pacing and flow of it is not like kind of anything. And that's like simultaneously its appeal. And also the thing that turns people away, like you can't really look at like, Hey, I like black clover a lot. Uh, let me read this JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. It's like, whoa, that's a little too much of a jump. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if you liked Naruto and then you go to Black Clover, it's like, okay, yeah, I, I kind of get where yeah. these things oh. are coming from. Oh, this protagonist screams? I also have a different screaming protagonist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but just in terms uh, of like character archetypes and narrative progression and things like that, it's uh, certainly uh, – most modern jump titles still follow like a, a sort of, you know, conventional format that originated initially. I, for my money's worth, like the modern take of it, you know, obviously the, the original original is like sports anime and stuff from the seventies and sixties, like star of the giants and what have you. But like mm-hmm. when I think of like the modern, what we recognize is like the shonen action adventure formula, the shonen action adventure characters. I think it's, you know, Fist of the North star, dragon ball, Kanikuman, stuff like that. And that's sort of the tradition that, you know, Shonen Jump, to this day, in many ways, still adheres to. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. That We always think about it as Dragon Ball. We talk about that a lot on our show. And that's definitely kind of a Western influence, because Dragon Ball was like the original hotness around these parts. Absolutely. I mean, Dragon Ball was another, like, is massively successful, and it was internationally a huge thing. In fact, as we record this, I am forsaking seeing the Dragon Ball Super movie premiere so that I can be here with you gentlemen uh, while everyone else in my timeline is going nuts over Vegeta versus Broly. Frieza versus (laughs) Broly. God, I have, I've been watching so much stuff about Dragon Ball Super lately that I'm like, I'm going to bite the bullet and I'm going to watch this whole damn thing. (laughs) Well, I think, I think Dragon Ball Super is, uh, lives in that amazing piece of Dragon Ball canon which is like, they were like, oh, Dragon Ball Kai is actually doing amazing online. You know what we should do? 
we should take uh, basically a fan written fight scene and put these people inside of a Super Smash Brothers brawl arena and just have them go at it. Yeah, that's what you want, fans, right? Which kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah, and uh, you know, talking about JoJo and how it doesn't age into like the modern sensibilities of anime, Dragon Ball is another good example. It is definitely much closer the modern sensibilities of a lot of shonen anime because it sort of set the tone for all of those things but it's definitely outdated in the way that it tells its stories the way that its fights play out you know it's still mm-hmm. it's still objectively good in a lot of ways in the same way that jojo's is also objectively good in a lot of ways but sure it's just a dragon ball as you know um you know it's been popular throughout the entire world for so long that you now have people bringing their children to see Dragon Ball Super yeah. for themselves, mm. Dragon Ball fans. Like, that's how yeah. long it's been around. And so it makes sense for people to associate certain character archetypes, certain tropes as being, oh, Dragon Ball came up with that because it was a fairly early show and it was the one they happened to see first. But, you know, it's only a couple of people who are like, actually, here's, you know, the chapter of Fist of the North Star where, you know, Ken throws, you know, the power beam and he does the, the hand gesture that later became Ryu's Hadouken. Uh, here's, you know, Ken's hair turning blonde when he powers up, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Jeez. You know, these are not typically well known because, you know, of, hey, uh, you know, certain titles just didn't catch on throughout the entire planet the way Dragon Ball has. But, you know, hey, mm-hmm. um, I am glad that there is at least room for all of the above. Um, yeah. And so uh, this one that we're going to talk about is uh, wishes it was Dragon Ball, uh, but you know, <laughs> yeah. is not. Um, it also wishes primarily that it was something else. But I guess we can yeah. we can yeah, get so, into that unless there's some other stuff that you guys want to uh, you know. No, talk I think this is a first. good segue. Uh, so now we'll, is now is the time. Yeah, if you guys don't know already from probably it being referenced in our title or uh, show notes, the uh, the thing we're talking about today is a an anime film called Spriggan. So I've got some notes. I don't know that you have access to them, Daryl. So we'll we will no, go through I our don't, notes. I don't have access to the notes, but what I will preface this review with is the following. Um, <laughs> when you contacted me and you said, hey, uh, would you like to be on the show? I said, sure, no problem. What do you want to talk about? And you provided a list of potential things and that you would consider doing a review on. And you had Spriggan on the list and i yep. immediately jumped on spriggan and the reason why is as follows in the 13 or so years that the anime world order podcast has been around um there is one title that we had promised to review that when the time came to review it my co-host said guys i i'm sorry i just i just can't i can't do it <laughs> it's, it's, it's i i i was sorry there was supposed to be here a review, and it's just like, I, I'm sorry, let's just forget about it. And and that was Spriggan. And so I was like, I'm going to debate these guys and force them to watch Spriggan not knowing what it is, because they offered, they offered it on the list. And so I, yeah. I don't know how you decided to have Spriggan on the list. Uh, I'm not sure I uh, also how did that come that. about. So let me tell you a story about how I found Spriggan. <laughs> So um, 
I was chatting with him uh, about some some possible titles, um, and uh, I, my first like shotgun blast of ideas, he was like, "So here's where I've reviewed all of those things." <laughs> um, so I was like, "Okay, let's go with obscure then." Um, so I found uh, a couple of anime bloggers that I follow. Um, some of them talk about like anime movies you've never seen. And I found Spriggan on there, and I referenced it against Rotten Tomatoes, and it has like a 71 on Rotten Tomatoes. No, no, no. It has so a 54. Like... I looked today. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I thought it was more when I originally looked at it. So I was like, okay. Maybe there's a sharp like influx of Spriggan reviews in the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's finally getting its due. <laughs> yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get so many more teens of listens after this. And hey, we have a respectable <laughs> listenership. <laughs> Um, but, uh, Blake, can you go, go ahead and give us a rundown of, uh, a little bit of the history of Spriggan? Yeah, I absolutely can. And I was about to say, Daryl, since you don't have the notes in front of you, we should have thought of this, Spencer. We're bad at this. Uh, but since you don't have the notes, feel free to jump in with any information that you've got at any time. And, uh, you know, just uh, add whatever you can if you want and no pressure if you don't want. So... Um, Spriggan is a, an anime that is set near the end of the Cold War, and it's sort of a fantastic alternate history storyline. Um, it's a manga series. Whoa, alternate history. Uh, This is the secret history, man. They covered (laughs) up that catastrophic flood that, you know. Yeah, I forgot about the wild climate disaster that happened to everyone (laughs) back Back a couple of decades ago, the uh, no, you know, before, 1998. <laughs> before we get too far into this, I just want to get like some ground, um, you know, baseline understanding here. Um, have either of you, uh, fine gentlemen, seen the movie Akira? Yes. Okay. Uh, can you tell me, like, around, like, uh, what was your exposure to that movie? Like, how did you end up seeing it? So I saw Akira for the first time uh, when a friend of mine in uh, middle school introduced me to it. Um, Rob, what I year was, was this? Oh, gosh. Uh, middle school. 2000s? No. Yeah, like the 2000s. What in your middle school? Right? Let's see, because no, I no, graduated no, no. high school in 08. And you're, yeah. what, two years I, older? So, yeah, maybe 06. around 2000. Yeah, around 2000. All right, so you saw probably like the uh, Genion DVD release of Akira. Yeah, I watched that after seeing uh, Evangelion. Okay. So I had just been immersed. <laughs> and how about, uh, I actually don't know who's who. Is it Blake? Yeah, I'm Blake. So I saw it way later. I, I may have seen it for the first time with you, Spencer, in college. Yeah. If that's not the yeah. case, it was after college when I lived in San Francisco. And uh, so this would have been somewhere around 2011 or later. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I've seen it a couple of times since then. I now own it. But uh, that was my first exposure to it. And it was one of those things where it was like, well, you you like anime. You've liked it for so long. You've never seen this thing that everybody who watches anime mentions periodically. So you might as well watch it. Gotcha. Okay. So uh that's like the modern way that people would see Akira. Uh, but just to contextualize like how Spriggan like exists on this planet. Um, in the late 1980s, um, people didn't really know what anime was. And so when 
Akira got released in art house films, uh, in art house uh, film theaters, as well as in video stores, it was literally the very first anime that people had ever seen. And so mm. it was a huge seller. It was like nothing people had ever seen before. They had no tradition of seeing any of these Japanese cartoons that, you know, that they just didn't know they existed by and large. Uh, a couple of hardcore fans knew, but for a lot of a whole generation of people, anime was like these, these violent, crazy cartoons, you know, with like things exploding and psychics and, you know, people screaming at each other and what have you. And so (laughs) Akira was a huge, 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 like commercial success. And again, it came out in the theater, like, you know, movie theaters as well as the video stores. And like for ever since uh, the, you know, American anime industry is, and even in Japan, they've been wondering like, we got to make something else like Akira. And so they would take it upon themselves to license things that they thought would appeal to people who liked Akira and uh, Uh, nothing ended up quite being that. Um, And so as it came to be uh, ADV films, as they were known back then said, we are going to try and market this as the true next successor to Akira. Because, oh God! <laughs> um, you know, Spriggan, it's an adaptation of a manga uh, by a gentleman named uh, Hiroshi Takashige and uh, art, I believe, uh, Ryoji Minagawa. And that was actually released in the United States. Um, and the manga was released by Viz, at least the first couple volumes of it. But they released it not under the name Spriggan, but they called it Striker. Yeah. And Striker mm-hmm. is, I guess, the literal English translation of Spriggan, which is like the name of like a mythological um, beast a from Cornish thing. Okay, yeah, Cornell. Yeah, so um, they basically like little like evil leprechauny things with big giant heads, and they steal your babies away or something <laughs> like that. So, um, you know, there was in Japan like there was a, like this big heavy bidding war in Japan for the rights to make an anime version uh, of Spriggan, and it ended up basically being won um, by. You know, Katsuhiro Otomo, the gentleman who created Akira, uh, both the manga as well as the film, and one of his protégés, a gentleman named uh, Hirotsugu Kawasaki. Uh, he, he was an animator for like a sort of a, you know, understudy of uh, Otomo, worked on things like Memories, which is an anthology. Uh, he did, um, you know, Ghost in the Shell key animation, which Otomo didn't work on that. But um, this is the very first film he ever directed. He also partially wrote the film. And you're going to be shocked to hear this, but it's also one of the only films he ever directed. And oh, I'm surprised. <laughs> no, I, I will say guessed. I was um, I was surprised when I read that that these Akira creators had been so directly involved with this, but also not surprised because it does feel like it's trying to imitate that feel. It has That's exactly the thing about it, right? Like so much of this is. Hey, remember the superficial aspect of Akira that you liked? Well, here yeah. it is again, only not with the underlying stuff that, you know, made it something, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it, this is a very troubled production. As you can tell this, because there are about, I believe, literally, I'm not exaggerating, 10 separate producers on the film. Um <laughs> Which is always a great sign. 
Always, always a great sign that you got, got a bunch of people pulling in a bunch of different directions on what kind of movie are, are we going to make. <laughs> and, you know, ADV was like, we are going to not just release this on, on home video. We're going to put this in the movie theater. We're going to have it debut in like the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles. And on, let me just. That's where they host the Oscars, okay? Like, imagine <laughs> in, in that building where the Oscars are. Imagine going there to see Spriggan. That's ambitious. That's, <laughs> that's the level of this is going to be so huge, guys. Everyone is going to love this. This will truly be the next Akira. And that's like, you know, how invested, how much people were certain that this thing was going to blow people's minds. And um, I would say that uh, that didn't happen. Um, yeah, you know, it's now been like what? What year did this movie come out? You guys have in been- uh, 1998 in Japan, 2002 here. Okay, so uh, that's that sounds about right. So it's now been a little over 20 years since Spriggan came out, and um, you know, Akira has been out for a little over 30 years because Akira came out roughly 1988, um, and to this day, you can still go to like Walmart and buy Akira. Yeah, you know, there's not yeah. a lot but of anime that you can buy. Price. Yeah, uh, you cannot buy Spriggan uh, pretty much anywhere. Yeah, I um, saw it for like seven hundred forty-one dollars on Amazon today, and I was like, "Fuck you!" Yeah, that's like I some can watch this on YouTube off, for free. Yeah, some jerk off <laughs> guy like just because some like third-party Amazon Z shop has like a hey, it's rare out of print, you say, uh, uh-huh. so they jack up the the price. Uh, that yeah, doesn't you mean have that this mistaken is... how supply and demand works. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, uh, like it's a long, a fairly lengthy manga, like you know, eleven or twelve volumes. We got three of them here. Um, it, then there just wasn't interest in it, and then the movie came out, and it did not do the uh, the gangbusters box office or home video sales that people were hoping. And then Spriggan was generally forgotten to time. Yeah, until today. It- the manga, it ran from 88 to 96, 11 volumes total. And that, that volume count goes down in a re-releases, I believe, just because they shoved more chapters into each volume. Um, the re-releases also have additional chapters that were not published in the original run. Um, yeah, like the, obviously the English version of that manga, like it's so long ago. Um, when Viz first started out, like what they would actually do, they had a publication called Manga Vision. And what it was was sort of like, um, you know, sort of a precursor to Shonen Jump in a ways. Like they would have mm. like uh, individual chapters of manga and like the dimensions of it would be kind of like the traditional American comic book style. And then they would release the individual chapters like uh, comics, like, you know, that full 32 page floppy. Uh, they'd f- flip all the artwork so you could read it left to right. Uh, that sort <laughs> of thing. This is the era in which uh, manga, you know, is being released at the time. Yeah. Um, and so that, then they released, you know, the, the graphic novel, you know, collections. And, yeah, there never really was that much interest. And then, yeah, they never bothered releasing uh, past that point. And so, yeah, you know, and- even when there were even if there were fans of it, like there, no one's going to know that Stryker is the same as Spriggan. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's been released in both titles. And um, I, my understanding, so it's fun trivia, is that uh, it was the first manga published in Portugal in 1995 alongside Rama One Half. And um, it also did not 
publish all of its chapters in most of the places that it was released. And I suspect a lot of that was just commercial disinterest. But I know that at least in some places, there was basically moral objection to some of the stuff that we'll actually see in the film today, which is um, use of Christian mythology in the story. And they were basically uh, not okay with using that those religious stories to tell a sci-fi story. And um, so the, the haven't they seen called... Evangelion? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, a lot of Japanese shows pull on Christian mythology, which is definitely a trope type that I personally love and really enjoy seeing like cool takes on Christian mythology in anime because I think they do a lot of creative stuff with it because they don't have the cultural baggage that we have in the West. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of a bummer, but, uh, yeah, it definitely suffered because of that. Now I, I tried to find what volume or what storyline this movie followed. It felt like maybe the end, but the best I could find was volume two out of 11. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily adapt the manga like faithfully. Because mm-hmm. there are uh, certain characters who their background is has changed significantly, or like you know the the way in which they are introduced and taken out of the film is not at all like what's in the manga. Uh, some of the details of the manga, which I thought were were, were pretty cool, actually don't make it into the film at all. Um, and again, uh, it's it's weird because it's one of those things where. Nowadays, like, you know, talking like as we record this, it's 2019, but like nowadays people get the simulcasts of like, hey, here's uh, what comes out in Japan. It comes out here um, 20 years ago. And, and, you know, even further than that, what would happen with anime is they would release like a, a direct to video, like a OVA or OAV, depending on, you know, whatever you want to call it. But just like a short, like 45 minute or 50 minute, like straight to video animation of a title that was basically meant to promote like a manga that was associated with it. And so these anime things, they would kind of just tell like, um, you know, a a chunk of the story, like a little portion of it, and then sort of end like kind of up in the air with the understanding in Japan being like, okay, now go and read the manga. But in America, these things would come out and we'd never get the manga. And you'd just be like, you'd watch and be like, the hell is this? You know, it Mm -hmm. ends just as like, you know, it ends there. Like what happens after that? It's like, oh, you know, you don't you didn't know there was no Google. Google didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's (laughs) no no Wikipedia. You know, it's like only years later. It's like, oh, it's it's meant to promote like some comic that I've never read. Yeah. And that's when you're like, oh, I remember Escaflone was a thing. What was that? And then you get to look it up. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, Escaflone is a unique case because the anime, uh, you know, came out first. And then the manga, you know, was produced like, you know, concurrently uh, by a different, you know, crew. So it's not necessarily an adaptation of a manga in the case of Escaflone. But mm. like as far as Spriggan, you know, the Japanese audiences be like, OK, yeah, we understand there's more of this story, you know, where it came from. But uh, if you've never known in America's read any of this stuff, so it's like you watch this movie and you're like, where is this thing going? And then it gets to that ending. And you're like, I see. And, um, you know, I guess I'm just going to have to wait for Spriggan 2 to be made. Yeah. Uh, which uh, there's yeah. no Spriggan 2. So, yeah. Um, so I, 
I guess I'm proposing that we go ahead and talk about what happens in the movie and then <laughs> spend some time on that and then wrap it up with like our thoughts on the movie overall. Does that sound good yeah, to you? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I can easily give my thoughts on the movie first, but we'll go into it in detail as we go through it. <laughs> I think the first half of this movie is actually a perfectly enjoyable, like a action blockbustery kind of story. And I yeah. think um, if it were up to me, I would have kept that tone throughout the film. And it would have been like, you know, a perfectly like um, serviceable, like, you know, Hollywood, like, you know, dumb action sort of movie, like the sort of thing like uh, Roland Emmerich or someone would make. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, and I think it might be a side effect of those 10 producers and, you know, what, however many, maybe the screenwriter, again, the first time director, first time writer, all that sort of stuff, primarily an animator, not really having the background of, you know, adapting this thing, like the second half of the movie, just, uh, it attempts to be like this smart metaphysical thing, but mostly it's kind of just dull as paint drying. Uh, but, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's we'll, too uh, I, complicated. It's, uh, yeah. and you know, too simple. Yeah. It, uh, we can get into that. I'll <laughs> let you take the reins now. Sure. Cool. Uh, so, so we start out with, uh, some people in a mountain, uh, so they're just uh, kind of spelunking. And when this movie started, um, as soon as it came up, I was like, oh, it's actually really beautifully animated. Yeah. I, I am about great. to watch something. Oh, yeah. I'm about to watch something that, like, is about to be real good. And then, like, when they they get blown up by this thing that's in the middle of the mountain, there's, like, a big obelisk that these mountain climbers stumble upon. And it, like, explodes their, like, equipment and a satellite in the sky. I was just like, oh, this is a setup for a, a cool movie. Well, yeah, this is a primarily hand-animated film. It's from 1996, after all. Oh, 98, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Well, they probably started in 96. Probably, yeah, I believe they actually did start, like, animating. It took them a little while. Um, so the, the use of uh, computer graphics is limited. It's still very early on in that, like... Uh, technology so it's a, a largely a hand animated film from a lot of people who worked on akira it's a, a very beautiful film you know as far as like the animation they did a lot of location scouting like you know there's a, a very international globe trotting sort of affair they went out to these places incredible background work i i must say um plus mm -hmm. like the the minor details like uh you know the gun details and like the movements and things like that like it looks good uh, yeah, it does. Uh, it just uh, the the problem is just like you know the script is not what you'd hope it would be because <laughs> it, like like it could have been like you know this great like you know popcorn you know spectacle film. It's like a model, you know. They look great, but rarely do they have anything of value to tell you. Oh, you mean like a fashion model? I thought you meant like a, like yeah. a Gundam plastic model. When you're saying it for a second. And, no, and but I'll you say, know they don't you, tell you. Don't you disparage my Gundam plastic model. You know, my Gundam plastic model will tell me all the secrets. <laughs> yes, like it's 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 not usually a good a good sign of a movie where you're like it's beautiful, but everything else about it is terrible. <laughs> and it's it's not even terrible. I I agree with Daryl here that the movie is actually fairly enjoyable. I, I don't think it's ever great. But I think it's I think pretty it's good enjoyable for a lot of it. up to a point, and I can tell you the exact point when it stops being enjoyable. But we'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so okay. we get they find this weird frog statue that looks like it. They also do something where it looks like it destroys the world for a second. It's like, wait, did the Earth just pop out of existence? What is this movie? And uh, and then we get some narration that tells us that 
basically there's artifacts that have strange powers and there's an organization that is trying to not have them be weapons and there are other people that want them to be weapons and then we're going to meet our protagonist whose name so, is so, you and the yeah, first time we you get find to that, that out I, go I just ahead. want to point out the name of this organization is ARCAM it's Arkham and the reason they're called Arkham is because it's like a reference to HP Lovecraft but they misspelled Arkham Nice. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, like Arkham Horror, like A R K H A M, but Which this is, uh, organization is called A R C A M because I yeah, guess they. Uh, listeners may know that more from Batman, which also got it from H P Lovecraft. Yeah, Arkham Asylum yeah. is a, a reference to H P Lovecraft. So yeah, we played we played enough of Arkham Horror to yeah, know all about H P Lovecraft. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so, so yes, yeah, so we, is... we get to you. You know, not at all like a uh, Abbott and Costello routine we're about to get into. Yeah, and we should I say I, Marmalade Boy? <laughs> and I watched it as uh, as the dub, which I think he's, I'm pretty sure Spencer hey, watched you? that one too. Yeah, and they just like, the, were you sleeping in class, you? And I was like, what the fuck is this writing? And it was like the third time they said his name that I was like, oh, that's his name. <laughs> yeah, and then like, so so we get our first introduction of our main character in a Vietnam style flashback it looks like where like he's fighting in the middle of this war scene and then he wakes up in class. So like I saw this Yeah, train killer time, goes to I... anime high school. It's full metal panic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I was like I was like, "Oh, so he must be just dreaming about something. There's no way that this guy is actually like a real you know, he's about to be thrust into it, and there's going to be a I thought it montage. was a psychic intrusion or something. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. He's they... actually a trained killer who is <laughs> undercover cover is that he goes to anime high school until it's time yeah. to travel the globe and, and, and get to kill him. Yeah. But he's, he not can killer, the globe, he's not a killer. He's not a killer. Except for all the people that he killing. kills. <laughs> oh my god so much um, before he starts killing people though he has to go up to the roof with his friend who looks like he has the lower jaw of apocalypse from the animated this X-Men dude looks universe. like a sack of potatoes that's been dropped a few times <laughs> this guy's name is tanaka and th- th- we're gonna see him in class before the roof and the friends are gonna be like yeah he missed school for a couple of days rumor is he some shit was going down with his family and maybe he had to go to the hospital, but here he is and he's looking weird. And then now they're up on the roof. Yep. Up on the roof, he uh, reveals that he has a bomb strapped to his chest and it's just going to fucking explode. And it doesn't give you enough time to read what's written on his shirt before he explodes. You can tell the word Noah is there, but that's it. Yeah. And they don't talk about it later. So if you miss it, you missed it. They do uh, talk about real. it later once he's in his uh, secret Arkham base talking with his tough police chief. You're off the case. Turn in your badge and gun. You're a loose cannon <laughs> yes. sort of discussion. Which is so disorienting because I'm like, this kid is a high school student. We know that. And right? now all of a sudden <laughs> he is having a film noir discussion with some dude that is in charge of clearly a government organization or some sort of military outfit or something. It is so confusing because it's not spelled out, which is like, you know, spelling it out isn't necessarily correct, but this is really confusing. So I think Um, one of the things that you may be encountering is the fact that um, this film, like Akira, 
um, when they did the animation for it, it's sort of uncommon practice for Japanese animation to do this. It's the standard for American animation. But they actually uh, recorded all the dialogue prior to actually making the animation, uh, which you know means that the lip flaps and mouth movements match exactly what the Japanese audio is, which is unlike most anime where they just have generic mouth movements. Now, when it comes time Mm. to dub that into English, now they've got a problem because they need to come up with a way to say it in English that actually mirrors like the mouth weird movements that they're making. And so they have to kind of rewrite the script uh, to match that. And so they did not do a good job. No. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you listen, like according to Matt Greenfield, he like, you know, he's the ADV films, AD, our director for the film. He's like all multimillionaire guy now, but I mean, uh, he's like, they did a commentary track for this film and it's all about the technical aspects of dubbing it. And he's very proud of like the great technical achievement that he did in, in hitting that, um, because they were like, Oh, we didn't want to change up the meaning of the film and blah, blah, blah. So, when it came time for that original release of Akira that I was talking about back in the 80s, they were faced with the exact same problem, right? Um, how do we make these mouth movements like fit? Because we don't want it to sound like a you know, bad 70s kung fu movie. And yeah, so they rewrote the Godzilla's. script. Yeah. So they rewrote the script of Akira like entirely. And the result that people had coming out of seeing anime in the 80s was like, wow, it looks real cool, but God, doesn't make any sense at all. And that's because of the dub script that they saw, which was so rewritten that it was like, what the hell am I seeing? Such that the version of Akira that you guys saw, if you saw it like in the 2000s, they actually redubbed the entire film. Like uh, they, they recast it. And so it's only like now that there's a Blu-ray that people can say, hey, if you want the English audio, you can either get the 80s dub because a lot of people have like nostalgia for it because it's like Leonardo from the Ninja Turtles is in it and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, Cam Clark, he's Liquid Snake from Metal Gear Solid. Um, okay. And, uh, but then you can also get the 2000s dub, which is more accurate to the Japanese. Now, in the case of Spriggan, they're trying to be accurate to the Japanese, but you know they're confronted with this technical hang-up of like, well got to make it match the the mouth flap like really specifically. And so you end up with like, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> you know, sort yeah. of, um, there's a lot moments. of that. Now I'm so, not saying that if you watched in the Japanese, you would have been saved from that because this movie is still like, you know, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's wacky. It, like we talked about at the beginning, there's a lot of manga volumes and there is one film that runs for about 90 minutes and it, it feels like it. You're like, oh, I can tell that that 10 minutes was from a different manga volume than most of the film. Most of the film is uh, a type of coherent. But there mm-hmm. are moments where you just... you Like, the whole Tanaka thing is really nothing. Like, it doesn't have anything to do with the story at all. It, they tie yeah. it back in, and that may be how it is in the, in the manga, but it's not relevant to what's going on whatsoever. And in fact, Tanaka is going to be talking to his supervisor, and No, he... no, Tanaka got blown up by a suicide bomb that said, no will be your end, or no will be your grave, or whatever. It's you who's talking to his supervisor. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to be no, making this you. joke all night that it's you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's you. And so... You is there and he's like, yeah, all of my friends keep getting killed. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, you? (laughs) One guy that you didn't talk to is dead. (laughs) 
Yeah. And after he has the uh after he has this conversation with his boss, um there is then a cut to scene uh which has a build up that made me think like okay, we're going to return back to something badass because it does have a pretty sweet scene. It's like these people that are like uh doing an excavation of an archaeological site and then like uh, there's a like a uh, a firefight between these two groups of random people, one in green suits and one in like white suits. Um, and then there's the arrival of these two crazy powerful guys. One of them is this huge fat dude that has a machine gun for an arm, and then there's this other little tiny guy who's super fast. Yeah, and he and- has the greatest weapon in cinema history and also manga history: monofilament wire. So. Yes. Let me give you an insight as to the level of writing sophistication that we are dealing with in the movie Spriggan. Because the character names of these two are Fat Man and Little Boy. So uh, if any of you have any knowledge of history, those are the names of the two atomic bombs that the United States dropped on Japan at the end of World War II. Or the Fat Man and Little Boy. So these guys are, yes, they are American cyborg operatives who are out to do no good because they're after Noah's Ark. That's right. Yeah. And the beginning of the movie, they, they found they're Noah's reveal Ark. They're that that is literal. It's the literal <laughs> Noah's Ark uh, that is not, in fact, made out of wood and is not, in fact, you know, super small, but it's yeah. uh, this priceless great artifact that may it have is. been made by space aliens, everybody. <laughs> It's the literal Noah's Ark that turns out not to be the literal Noah's Ark if you're expecting the Noah's Ark from the Bible. Well, you see, the Noah's Ark from the Bible was just trying to describe this thing, man. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. So this, the Fat Man and Little Boy attack comes as sort of an example of what the gruff police chief captain guy is telling you, which is essentially that their digs have been getting attacked Everybody is getting massacred. We see that. And at the end, Little Boy is going to smash open one of these frog statues. And he is going to take some sort of kind of golden triangular artifact thing from inside of it. And uh, we'll get back to that later. Um, but yeah. old dude now is we like... we have to have a traveling montage. Yeah, old dude doesn't <laughs> want to send you, but you's like... I'm just going to commandeer a plane from Arkham and fly there myself because they've been calling me out. I'm only a 16-year-old high school student. Hey, 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 hey. He's 17, all right? He's he's got (laughs) the maturity as Arkham's number one agent, thanks to the power of his karate, um, (laughs) to to get out there. Even though he just got hit by a suicide bomb blast, uh, he's going out there, dang it, because he will not stand for this personal affront. Yeah. So this this traveling <laughs> sequence is ridiculous, by the way. So it starts out with his plane getting taken down by, uh, like, uh, I think they're over, like, Turkey. They go to Turkey, the, yeah. They, yeah, they go to Turkey. Yeah, they so enter they have, Turkish airspace, and there's this big drama about being redirected to another airport. None, And then, you know, they get busted by customs because he shows up, you know, loaded up for bear. And they come They do a really fun... He has a, they do a fun he visual has a gun joke. sticking out of his backpack. Yeah. They do a fun <laughs> visual joke when he lands where the guy that he is clearly supposed to be meeting raises his hand and you think he's waving, but then it cuts and you see that he is raising his arms because he is surrounded by guns pointed at yeah. him. And I thought that was pretty cute. So yeah, they're gonna be uh they're gonna be detained upon arrival. Yeah, right. And so he, he loses all his good gear, and as it turns out, it's actually 
a setup because the bad guys have uh, you know taken out the people who you're supposed to rendezvous with and they are going to murder him. And you actually get like a pretty solid chase scene throughout the streets of Turkey, which, uh, you know, again, you know, pretty, pretty solid as far as like action choreography and what have you. Yeah, um, it's you say solid as an action choreography, which is true. But the thing that is not solid in this, in the dub especially, is the people that are doing, trying to do a accent from this region, and it sounds terrible. Are you telling me the Texans can't sound like they're Turkish? <laughs> <laughs> well, also, for me, watching this, what was, what was excellent was definitely the animation, the fight choreography, the action sequencing was all good. What was not awesome was that I'm still hung up on who the fuck is this kid, that is a high school student whose friend exploded and then he works for police chief McGruff and he can't, you know, he gets a plane and now he's trying to be killed by these people. There has so far not been an explanation and it's just a little too discordant for me to suspend my disbelief. Yeah, so I spent the explanation, half of this chase being like, what is happening? The explanation came in the form of one still image <laughs> as he was being briefed by the chief stating Arkham like number one top agent skills is you know martial arts you know it's height <laughs> yes. five foot eight which is gigantic for Japanese people I guess and you know like and, and that's it like you just no one yeah, verbally I, like gives I you like I spent that hey. whole shot looking for how to spell his name so I missed out on all the valuable information right like the actual <laughs> yeah. information is to like to say like okay you're you're the you're the best of the best. Get out there. Except you're a bench. You're on the ca- you're off the case. He's like, I'm doing it myself. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. that's it. But yeah. This is he, the scene though, where like if it weren't evident from the the you know dream sequence, it's like, oh, it wasn't a dream sequence. This guy's actually like uh, you know, highly physically augmented. Yeah. Yeah, and he also the this is an eighties action movie sometimes. And that is going to definitely occur at the end of the action, the chase sequence, when he, like, he's finally taken out the last guy that was pursuing him. And he's like, you underestimated a spriggan. And then he throws a knife, like, 800 yards into the air at some surveillance drone that we don't see. And it's campy and awesome and ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, to be honest, I'm totally, yeah, I'm totally into the film at this like stage of it. Like, it's still like you know, <laughs> this is my kind of movie, you know. Yeah. Here. It, like so, okay, it, it, it's gonna double down on that because we're gonna see little boy and fat man having a villain round table and just chewing up <laughs> all of the scenery around them. <laughs> yeah. So they're gonna have a long conversation about uh, what they need to do and uh, how to get this arc from them now that they have the key to the arc and they had to do some menacing laughing and also point to somebody in a seat that we don't see uh so far but it looks like it's either a little boy which it's anime so we should just assume it's a super powered little boy remember kira guys remember there was like aged little kids (laughs) sitting in chairs well here it is again sort of pale bluish skin and psychic abilities this is exactly that uh Yeah, so then we're going to get a wildly long sequence of you silently writing to where he's going. It's like yes. a minute and a half. It's so long. I mean, so I get long. it. I mean, I understand, like, they're trying to justify they all took a vacation out to Turkey. 
and did like all sorts of location scouting and wanted to like convey, yeah, you went like a quite a distance and it's not convenient to just immediately get to this giant mountain where Noah's Ark is presumably buried in. And so a lot of that is like uh, to, to tie it back to the beginning, the sort of like uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure esque travelogue like uh, portion of the program. Where yeah, I guess they cut out him having to fight all of the stand users along the yeah, way. Yeah, they, they cut they cut <laughs> out the bits where it's like he procured money and he procured clothes, and I guess we just assume that because he's a spriggan that he can just blend into any environment and speak the language and say, they yeah, I need to get to that, that mountain they, like real they far cut out away." That part as well. Where he fought a guy who fought with his car, which is also part of his spiritual energy. God damn it. Um, I missed that part. <laughs> so then after this long sequence, which granted is animated beautifully, but is just so goddamn long. Yeah, like he, what purpose does it serve the narrative other than like, okay, yeah, it was hard to get there. It sure makes you <laughs> feel like it took a long time to get there. So I guess mission accomplished. So he then gets to like the dig site, I guess. And they have a shoot first, ask questions later policy. <laughs> right. The whole story of this is like, he's always wondering, like, damn, how come nobody told you that I was coming? And the reason is because you flipped off your boss and said I was going to take my own plane and get there myself, <laughs> dumbass. Nobody knows <laughs> yeah. you're coming. But yeah. maybe, like, you know, make a phone call before coming to yeah. the secret military base. fucking Where know. they're ex- yeah, and they're on high alert anyways because people have been trying to murder them around the globe. And he was not like, maybe I should call ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it turns out okay because the scientist on base recognizes him and wants to give him the new Mark IV armor from Iron Man. And yeah. he's you're not then, you're literally not joking. It's like you're the special Ori Halkin armor, which is a yeah. fictional metal from like Atlantis or Slayers or whatever it is you want. It's made it's like of a, vibranium and yeah, basically. it has infused <laughs> and it, Uru metal and it, uh, it's and also, it increases it's also strength ulti- by 30 like, times. Unobtainium. Yes. So yeah. So the, the actual plot relevant information is that he's real strong. He's a little resistant to damage. Uh, it's going to, it's it. And a, he's got a, a grapple. Armor. He's got a grapple. Oh, Don't yeah. forget the grapple. Very important. That's true. That's, I, I imagine this grapple is powerful enough for you to carry perhaps two or three people. Ah, oh, well, thank uh, you, you very know, much, the, Q. I'm sure. The grappling hook that doesn't make an appearance until the very no, end no, of listen, the movie. No, no, listen. Again, that's their Shane Black, you know, writing style where it's like, okay, this will become used later at this stage of the film where it's like, okay, they gave it to him for a reason. Well, anyway, the second, like, he's given this, the base gets attacked legit by, you know, Fat Man and Little Boy. And yeah, so it's yeah. Time after to he's done up. examining Chekhov's grappling hook. Yep. <laughs> so, Fat Man and Little Boy are going to murder everybody basically immediately. Um, and uh, the, there's going to be a fight that's going to ensue between you and Fat Man. No, Little you. Boy is... Shut up. <laughs> so... So, uh, little boy is going to infiltrate the base and he's going to try to go kill the scientist guy that, uh, made it so that you wasn't going to be just shot inside of the base or handcuffed indefinitely. Um, However, and he, he is runs foiled. into a different Spriggan who is French and also has a terrible French dub. Oh, well, oh remember it, the, 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 Matt Greenfield is like, oh yeah, this guy had a really great French accent, but we told him to tone it back a bit. 
uh, because he's so, <laughs> as a Spriggan, you're supposed to be able to blend in and drop the accent as needed. And like his French accent is like, my name is John. I am Spriggan France. You know, like that. Yeah, like, he I'm learned this not exaggerating. That's how the delivery Python. is. Yeah. 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 And, and, but here's the thing. Like, Jean, as a hero, is way cooler than the actual oh, hero yeah. you because yes. in this, his, he has an ability, and his ability is super speed. But get this. In the manga, he could also turn into a werewolf. Where what? Damn it. The Why didn't they put that this? in this movie? What, the, the movie <laughs> needed... Like, why couldn't he just, like, surprise, I'm also Chopper Dave. And then, you know, <laughs> just, just this fight movie crime as a werewolf. This movie has too few werewolves. I know. And so in, in the manga, they actually, this is a change from the manga to the anime, but, like, in the manga, John kills both Fat Man and Little Boy. They're just, like, you know, minions to be dispatched. Now, in this movie, they change it up so that Fat Man was actually, in the past, used former commanding officer, uh, because uh, mm-hmm. it turns out that you was like uh, trained from childhood to be a perfect assassin or what have you until he. Yeah, defected. we're going to break the pacing of the story at the end to learn that. <laughs> right. But yeah. it's like the pacing of it is like the way that they've set up that, OK, Fat Man was like this killer who, you know, brought in you and, and made him into an unwitting child killer. And then you rebelled and ran away. It's like, OK. These guys are the actual true antagonists of this film because they're the ones who have the direct connection to the hero, so to speak. Right. right? However, that is narratively uh, that is not correct. what this film that is narratively correct, but it is not what this film elects to do because after this fight, uh, it concludes with uh, you killing Fat Man in a hilarious way. Because, you know, it involves, um, you know, the clerks who is driving this fucking vehicle because at some point he gets into a Jeep that has like a a machine gun mounted (laughs) on the back and nobody is driving this Jeep. He didn't put a fucking brick on the accelerator. It just starts driving. There's no driver. It doesn't look like it's driving in a straight line. It looks like it's going in an arc around Fat Man. Well, yeah it, yeah, it doesn't look like it's just out of control. It looks like it's moving in like a, a way that's beneficial for him to aim. You know the the tactical. I the have tentacle, a I have a I have a belief that he must have he must have in this moment of like using his super powered self uh, use the grappling hook to steer the car. We no, just we no, we just missed that. This is where the car stand was. That you know. <laughs> You got it. Because, you know, he did yell and power up and go Super Saiyan Dragon Ball because the Ori Halkin armor makes him become super buff. And then he rushes up and does like the Dragon Ball rush, you know, punches and stuff. What was this? He just all of a sudden has like key powers for a scene. It's the you'd think this would be handy to use at other points in the film, but I guess he uses it all up right here. Because, you know, it's a part of taking out Fat Man and he's got his special Ori Halkin knife that, you know, will just uh, cleave through dudes, uh, except when the plot demands it not. But yeah, <laughs> eventually, you know, he, he waylays into Fat Man and just like blows him away. And he's about to like, um, you know, execute him point blank until John stops. He's like, no, stop, stop. He's already dead. And um, <laughs> at, at that point, uh the death of fat man is like, okay, movie over. This is this movie yeah. like is done from this point on. It's like, 
you know, if you watch Transformers the movie and it's like Optimus Prime dies, movie is over. From the rest of the point of this movie, it's just a totally different style of film with a bunch of characters I don't care about that suck <laughs> compared to, yeah. you know, that first 30, 35 minutes of this 90 minute film. Yeah, yeah. This is so all the good. Things, the, I, I would say last, we're going like, into Act Two, which is things yeah. fall apart, and then yeah, Act it's like three, a total second half. Fucked. Yeah, like because your main antagonist of the film is no longer there. You know, little boy is seemingly killed, only to be actually killed later on in the similar yeah. way. But you know, it fat man is kind of like the the person you're rooting for. He's the big fat bastard who's a cyborg and he's got a chain gun. He's just murdering a ton of people. And then little boy is, you know, darting around being a jerk, you know, slicing people up with monofilament wire. Okay. So you got your super powered heroes fighting your super powered villains. You got a simple mission to go get some MacGuffin. Okay, great. Unfortunately, these are like the, these are some of the last action scenes in the film and it's 30 minutes into the film. It's like, so beginning of the movie, you've got shootouts, you've got, you know, explosions, you've got car chases, you've got like these super soldiers going at it. And then the second half of the film is um, small child delivering exposition. Yeah. And this is mostly the last time that the film delivers on its own promises. And from here on out, it's going to start setting up expectations for any shonen watchers that are going to be wildly, underwhelmingly uh, missed. Mm-hmm. So, so I would say at this point there is there is one more thing that you need to know about everybody outside of this site because everything else is going to basically happen inside of this arc uh, discovery site. That is that the United States government has created a uh, a Pentagon wing that is like a super black ops wing that was making cyborg people. And one of them is this uh, little kid that has psychic powers and also a robot brain. He does not have also... psychic powers. This is, That would be crazy and unrealistic. Thank you very much. No, he's Magneto. He has control of <laughs> electromagnetism thanks to the uh, special computer embedded in, in his skull. Well, which, he's uh, you know, 60s Magneto where magnetism is magic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and his name is Magic Man, so right. he's also that Adventure Time character that's a dick for no reason. Right. So, so <laughs> Colonel McDougal is a like twelve-year-old kid who's yeah. dressed up like you know the '90s Burger King Kids Club, you know, style. Like I'm a yeah. cool kid. He's got his Houston Parents Rockets. Just don't understand. He's got his Houston Rockets baseball cap. I'm basketball cap. Yeah, why does he have that? So (laughs) nobody in Japan, when asked, was able to answer why the main villain of the movie wore a Houston Rockets cap. The uh, you know ADV was thinking, is it because we're in Texas, guys? No, it was a pure coincidence. Maybe it's just. I guess like what is it when he's walking out in the public, which is never, by the way, because he needs drugs to like not go berserk. uh, He had to conceal the fact that the top of his head is missing. It's like they wanted to show like, hey, look, it's an American kid. That's why he's wearing a Rockets uh, hat, Uh, because I guess maybe at the time uh, the movie was being animated, to be fair, the Houston Rockets were two time champions. Oh, that makes sense. It's like the Golden State hat of now. Yeah. (laughs) So it's really, really, really hard to take this guy seriously as a villain, even if when he's magnetically blasting people around because he's just. 
He's got the goofiest clothes, and he's a little kid, even though he looks like he's, you know, he's a little 80-year-old, like, artificially aged kid, but he talks like a small child, because they actually, you know, for both versions, I, I mean, at least the dub, they cast a 12-year-old. Um, yeah. Yeah, it sounded very authentic. I, I was like, this woman is doing a great small child boy. But yeah, it makes yeah, I sense. I think in the Japanese, actually... it was a woman doing it, but like in, in the dub, they actually cast a 12-year-old. Yeah, oh, it, it sounds like it. And it, it definitely deflates his menace quite a bit. Um, so we're also going to learn that this is literally the Noah's Ark. We talked about this a little bit earlier. This is where you learn they are excavating the Ark. It's four times larger than the Bible actually said. It is not made of wood. It's made of an unknown impenetrable material. And it is surrounded by some sort of field that stops the flow of time so you can't touch it. Yep. How do they analyze and determine this thing stops time? How uh, did they stick those weird discs to it if they couldn't touch it? That's my biggest question. Yeah, like the, if they can touch <laughs> the discs, they can touch the little triangle things, which can touch that material, but they can't touch. You know, it's uh, never mind. No, they have like it's, stethoscopes it's attached to it. They have stethoscopes that are like attached to the outside of the ship, and I was like, how did they do this if they couldn't touch the ship? You're you're writing a check that your ass can't cash. Yeah. <laughs> so then they're not going to have a lot of time to worry about that because they are going to basically immediately get attacked again. This time it's by Magic Man, the little kid, Captain whatever the fuck. And yeah, Colonel McDougal. Do McDougal. Yeah, like the, uh, what is that, chicken? <laughs> and so then he is going to do a pretty cool... Magnetic I said no. It's in Turkey. You. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> I I wasn't fast enough on the draw. I missed my shot. <laughs> you must be a father. <laughs> Hold on. I I before before you gets attacked though. You have no, a fight you. scene. Oh, I hate you so much right now. Um, he. He first he first takes out John, who is gonna try to fight him in the middle of a field. Yeah, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> but yeah, he's gonna show up. He's gonna beat you up pretty badly uh, with his um, mind powers, and it's cool. It looks good. It is the second to last cool thing that happens. Uh, so I I kind of skipped over a lot of stuff because that's it really devolves into disjointed action sequences and a lot of trying to be uh, thoughtful, but not right. So basically they want to shoehorn in the save the planet guys. You know, the earth is dying because the ozone layer and you know, all that stuff. And thank God this was 20 years ago and we've solved that problem. Yeah. yeah, And we, we got it. Don't worry. Everything is great now. Um, (laughs) And and so basically it's like, Oh, Turns out that Noah's Ark is going to be the thing that controls, you know, the amount of ultraviolet radiation that uh, affects the Earth. And so it can, you know, effectively control climate change effectively. And therefore, you know, we can also use it to create new life and blah, blah, blah. And this is what truly caused the flood, uh, you know, from the Bible was the Ark itself. It wasn't God. Ah, ha, ha. And now we will control it for America. Yeah, America's it the villain wasn't God, this, it was the, the Ark, but controlling the Ark makes me God, so whatever. It's a transfer and, property, yeah. all right? Listen, it, the point they, is that America's evil, and, <laughs> you know, they, they need to 
in order to maintain their grip on the world, has to have control of Noah's Ark. Yeah, they gotta they, make a weather force. They weather actually, force is next. They have uh, <laughs> they, so they have the you know I I learned most of the stuff about this from Wikipedia, and I actually tried really hard to learn about it from other sources, but there's not a lot. But on Wikipedia, there's like the reception section for movies and and other works like this, and the reception is basically like the movie and the mon- uh, the manga series was moderately successful. One major criticism from this person was this, and it was essentially that America was picked as the villain, kind of at random, and basically that like there is nothing about the villains themselves or their plot that is. Like intrinsically American, essentially you could swap. It's them just with any a JRPG villain. I mean, like if yeah. you played any JRPG in your life, you've seen this guy who's like, "Oh, I'm going to destroy the world and remake it in my image, and I'm going to be all powerful because I've got the doohickey." Like, yeah, that's yeah. and that's it. that's what it you is. Don't get, it, there's no character development really in this movie, so it's like, well, why do you want to do this? It's like, well, I'm mad that they turned me into a psychic. Uh, well, I don't know. He didn't give that reason. We can infer it. But, you know, you got you uh, over there who was, uh, you know, a true spriggan. I said you uh, because it's got like the Y-U with the line above it. So you Uh you have to throw it in when you screw up the pronunciation. Uh, He's the one who's the true spriggan because he was taken from his parents and raised to be a killer. But he will defy his fate and destiny, unlike America, who is bloodthirsty and evil. Except, you know, this kid is just a jerk, I suppose. Um, and so yeah, they never really it, make it to a commentary on America, which yeah, is the missed yeah, opportunity. And so like the, the process by which they decode the message and open the door of the ark and walk in the ark and get to the control center and activate this thing. All this is like really slow and plotting and painfully dull. And then every once in a while they will smash cut away to like, you know, a car chase going on. Like, yeah, mile, like outside of the arc, miles away between like, you know, little boy trying to get away and John chasing him or whatever. And then smash cut straight back to the kid talking because it's like on some level, like uh, a producer or someone was like, you know, we, we got to liven this up. We got to we got to make it snappier. Uh, cut away yeah. to this. OK, uh, OK, that, that's enough of that. Now cut back. You know, it doesn't work because it's so it's so divorced from like everything narratively. It's two different stories. Right. Like the thing about Akira was that, yes, you had so many different moving parts that, but they came together and like, you know, the plot lines like affected one another. Um, But in this case, it's like, well, we got to go chase down little boy. Okay. We've killed him. Okay. Give me a snowmobile so I can uh, ride back to where the rest of the story is happening. So I can be part of that now. Uh, it's just, you know, it feels like they're stalling. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens inside of the arc? It's, it's real dumb. He, he activates the arc with basically a lot of exposition. Um, and the world starts to collapse around him. (laughs) Yeah. So he's basically using talk no jutsu the whole time while he's, um, using the the most powerful anime technique. We all know this. (laughs) So, he, the world is collapsing and being flooded, and you see shots of, like, different things happening. Meanwhile, uh, you has infiltrated inside of the Ark with no... Through uh, no explanation. 
Yeah. Listen, he once, walks through once the arc is open, they just leave the door open. And even though, yeah. like, you know, no light gets through, uh, you can just walk through it and be fine. You just have to... Oh, and you can have all of the guns, by the way. That's right. Yeah. Because you has a, a rocket launcher with seemingly infinite, infinite ammo rocket launcher. This is a Resident yeah. Evil rocket yeah. launcher. <laughs> He's also still wearing his Iron Man suit. And that even though was it kind of got crushed... Yeah, that wasn't yeah, like, you know, affected by this horrible barrier that not even light will penetrate. Now he just walks yeah. through it. He just needs and to And everybody like, you else know, is like, you can't go in there. You will definitely die trying to get in. And he just fucking waltzes in. It's, <laughs> no, no, no. It's you. <laughs> it's spreading. So, so while, you while enc- he's inside of the arc, he, he, he first encounters a whole bunch of dinosaurs. The best part of the movie. This movie is a 10 out of 10 Sud- at this point. Suddenly dinosaurs, because it would not yes. be a blockbuster you know, without just suddenly dinosaurs. Every but they film are should frozen, have dinosaurs in it. They are frozen dinosaurs, and they are totally not alive dinosaurs, so it's perfectly safe for him to just um, yeah. walk by them, and nothing happens. Yeah, nothing happens until he decides that not anything has happened for too long, and so he's decided that he's just going to start fucking firing the rocket launcher haphazardly around everywhere. Before he does this, he's like, I feel like I've been walking in circles, and I'm like, really? Because a second ago you encountered dinosaurs you hadn't seen before. So... (laughs) It's like, I've seen that dinosaur! So Magic Man is trying to basically cause all of the parts of global warming that we in real life are going to have in like 10 or 15 years all at once. And he is causing global catastrophe, sudden hurricanes, tidal waves, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I got to say, he's not trying. He succeeds. He does this. This is happening. And we see, like, some incidental cutaways. Like, they don't, like, dwell too much on, like, the global destruction. But it's happening. Yeah. In the shot of Washington, D.C. underwater. Right. Yes. You know, (laughs) villain's plot has succeeded at this point. You know, it's like when Cobra in the G.I. Joe live action movies, like, enacts a plan and G.I. Joe stops him. It's like, you didn't really stop him. They kind of did blow up all these national monuments and what have you. It's like, well, you you basically have caused, like, you know, the fourth impact or whatever at this point. Yeah, you you have done a Thanos snap. Like, it's happened. No, no, no. It was McDougal, not you. (laughs) God damn. Stop walking into that trap, Blake. Stop it. <laughs> All right. So anyway, he, he suddenly decides I'm going to just start randomly firing my rocket launcher because like if I can't destroy this thing from outside, I bet I can blow it up from the inside. And it's like much like <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy 2, the same thickness inside applies, you know, to the outside. It's not like there's some special like unprotected electronics, but because he's the hero, it does, in fact, uh, enable him to make it somehow inside the control center of this place so they can yeah. have a, a, a great confrontation with McDougal, which he wins through the power of plot armor. Yes. So what happens is he's fighting against McDougal. McDougal handles him every time, every moment he tries to attack him. It is not even close. At one point, he's like, you can't stop a Spriggan. And he just immediately slams him to the ground. Yeah, because he's that using is fully untrue. <laughs> yeah, so he is completely defeated until, for some reason, when he's running at him the last time with his knife out, 
it doesn't stop him psychically for no reason, and he stabs McDougal. Right, like what they should have done. What they should have done. Yeah, yeah, he, you know, they break his arm and all that kind of stuff too, right? Yeah. And they do a (laughs) cutaway. This is where you learn that he was a child soldier, that he knew the fat man from his childhood, and you get like a five minute flashback into his history as a kid. Out you know, of killing, nowhere. you know, people. It's and because he has bad. like a tattoo that that says that he's a fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos, and <laughs> this makes him think of growing up in the middle of you know child mania. Right. So much like how Akira referred to the child test subjects by number. Well, you remember that thing from Akira? Let's do it again. And so, mm-hmm. you know, hey, your number so and so. And then he's like, no, well, I am not. Mine have a name. It's like the no, prisoner. No, you. Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> the thing is, what they should have done is they should have done a better job establishing that McDougal's power was effectively just manipulation of, like, say, metal or something like that. Or, you know, electromagnetism, something to that effect. And during the briefing, when they were handing in the knife, because they even gave a big speech about the knife, they should have said it was like a like a ceramic knife or something like that, that, you know, you could conceivably say, like, aha, guess what? The knife, you, your power can't affect it, and therefore you can stab him with it. But that doesn't happen. It's just, he, he gives a speech as he's beating his ass. You're, you're an idiot for wearing this armor, because I can just manipulate this at will. Look, see, boom, I broke your arm without even lifting a finger. And then suddenly, just because he, like, you know, believes in the heart of the cards or whatever, he's able to power up and, and charge at him and then stick a knife straight through the kid. And uh, But guess what? That is not enough to kill him because, uh, you know, because in his mercy, you know, like, he picks up McDougal and he's like, I'm not a killer. We're getting you out of here. And then he's like, oh, jabated, bitch. Thanks for helping me. And then he gets up and activates the self-destruct on Noah's Ark. And then he's like, this is just the beginning. Spriggan will meet again. And then he gets away, um, you know, teleports Somehow away. Somehow he walks into a void portal. Yeah. So, you know, some people who want to, like, have some closure in this film are like, oh, no, he just killed himself. and Because, you know, then the whole arc explodes. And then, you know... He's got to get away, but of course, John, being the, the best bro there is, somehow manages to get inside this whole place and find him and get him out, get out of there. And at some point, the writers realize, oh, wait, we got to do something. And that's when, for 20 seconds, all the dinosaurs come back to life. Yep. And, um, and then immediately, because time don't work that way, they just all suddenly, uh, anticlimactically decompose and vanish it's not like they have to fight yeah, dinosaurs also, like john is there yeah, you know, yeah they, he's not, they he's they not just, affected it only affects the no, dinosaurs do it to do it it just happens and we were deprived they, a dinosaur fight yes yeah that's the uh, kind of movie that's that zero out is. of ten the kind of movie that promises fight. a dinosaur fight and then doesn't give it to you Oh, man, I bet in the trailer they showed the part where he's running away from the T-Rex. And people were like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to see some dino fighting. So they are going to get out of the arc, and the Chekhov's grappling hook is finally going to be relevant. What I want to know is, what kind of fucking lunatic decides, you know what, this whole thing's exploding, a mountain is falling on me, it's time to get in these planes. And fly towards <laughs> yes. it. 
What's well, I also wondered that. I was like, who's sending these planes? Like, maybe it's <laughs> Arkham to save the day. You know, to, but you know, there's no reason. There's no statement given. There just needs to be. Oh, these guys are real fucking high up in the air, and they need some way to get down. And so they're going to, you know, fall. And then he's going to grab him and then grapple on with the other hand. And all I'm thinking is, I really sure hope that you can maintain this grip because that arm is entirely broken as of like (laughs) three minutes ago. And now this is what we're relying on for you to not drop Jean to his death. (laughs) This is not a factor. This is not a concern. And he, remember, is better than you. Yeah, my favorite part is they land, and after they land, everybody just starts clapping like they did something great. Like they did great. something great. It's like it's, an R that happened. It's like the whole world just got destroyed, and everyone's feeling super down, and then one guy points, and he's like, hey, look at that. And he can apparently somehow see these two tiny bodies on these bottoms of this plane that's like, you know, quite some distance away as the sky and the world burns. But, you know, nope. Everyone's happy, and they all they play like the happy, triumphant music, and then they pan back to the planet Earth, fate to black, the end, and it's like, uh, guys, the whole entire planet is ruined. Um, yeah, there's not he really succeeded. a happy ending. He succeeded. <laughs> he got away. You know, you're not going to have me believe yeah. that he did not uh, get away, that he somehow died there. No, he he kind of got everything that he wanted, and uh, yeah, the, the, the entire only Arkham thing he team didn't lost. get was to literally eradicate humanity. But that right. they did not like, you know, he brought the scientist in to do the decoding. And there's one woman in this entire film who gets like significant lines, who is just kind of there, uh, you know, other than the flight attendant lady, I guess. But like, that's like all their purposes is just to deliver exposition. And then at the end, the kid's like, OK, so what I need you guys for is you're going to use the arc and you're going to create uh, homo superior. You're going to create like, you know, the next thing to replace mankind. And the scientist's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, <laughs> man, I thought you were cool. And then, you know, yeah. that's it. Then, you know, they just, uh, you know, rescue the scientist and the lady. And then they have nothing else to do for the film. And they really had nothing yeah. to do during the film either. Like, I'm not really convinced that he really needed him to do any of these things is like, um, yeah. you know, doctor, I need you to put this triangle into the triangle shaped hole. No, not you. I think I could have done that myself, but you know, I, I need, you know, you to do it. And he's like, well, you is out there because they needed him. Right. They were like, that was a plot point that they, they specifically needed him. Right. And then they just threw that away. Like th- they were hitting these locations trying to get, you know, the number one Arkham Spriggan guy. And then he was just yeah. completely not needed. Yeah. Yeah. This, the, this the, movie is a weird train wreck of, I, I think it's one of those perfect examples of like, I didn't know that it had that many producers working on it, but the phrase too many cooks in the kitchen is just repeating over and over again inside of my head. And it had to be like, what happened with a lot of other anime like style movies that were turned into live action stuff because they, they talked about uh, that with uh, the last airbender when like M night Shyamalan got a hold of it and took a shit all over it. And they were like, well, all of these different producers came in and they wanted to change stuff on it. 
And it was just like, what you got was nobody understanding the core material anymore. Yeah. yeah you, you see this and, a lot in blockbuster cinema, like especially like, you know, Warner Brothers, sort of the king of this. Like, you know, they've got these DC movies where they got all these producers and everyone's trying to go one way. And in the meantime, the two movies that they didn't really pay much attention to make them the most money, you know, Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And then all the movies yeah, that yeah. the million producers want to put their stamp on, those all sucked. <laughs> so, yeah. or they're disjointed, Just uh, you know, let highly. the artists make the art. <laughs> right. And so yeah, this movie, like they didn't like market it as any other way as like, Katsuhiro Otomo, the maker of Akira, has made another movie. He is not the director of this film. He is not the writer of this film. He is like a general supervisor, you know, just kind of hanging back, saying, hey, do whatever. But he didn't, like, they try to make it seem like this is his movie. It's not, you know. But that being said, you know, it took Otomo decades to make, like, you know, another film. And then the film he made was Steam Boy. And Steam Boy has a lot of the same problems as Spriggan, you know. It's like a you know, a, another mess of a film, but it doesn't have yeah. anyone to blame. But uh, it's another one that's fun, but not good. Beautiful movie, but like, oh God, like, um, you know, story writing wise script isn't isn't really there. And like, that's the thing, the frustrating thing about Otomo. Like, I, I will say that the closest I would say to a movie like Akira that Otomo was involved with because he was the producer was uh, actually a Rintaro-directed film. It's called Metropolis, Osamu Tezuka's Metropolis. Yeah, I really like Metropolis. uh, Which is only recently, like, released in, like, a good Blu-ray edition that you can now buy. I highly recommend that film. It's actually excellent. And I feel I actually haven't seen it, so I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Well, well, actually, when you sent the emails, one of your initial suggestions was metropolis and i said i just got done reviewing metropolis on my own show and so um you know if you'd like to listen to that you know you can do so over on mine but yeah it's a that's a like movie that you can tell there's people involved who worked on akira because the sensibility is not like explosions and like it's kind of a complicated plot with a bunch of different factions you know but it all ties together and it ends in a really good way. And I think that, like, I, I still really gr- enjoy that film. But Spriggan no, is I've a mess say... of a... Go, keep going. Okay, I thought you said you got to say. But yeah, like, Spriggan uh, is just, like, I'll this beautiful it. mess of a film that, like, uh, on, on some level, it's like I, I recognize that in a lot of ways it is a bad movie. But I also would like to own this movie on Blu-ray just because of how, like, you know, visually resplendent it is. And, you know, like when it's good, it is good. Like for what it is like a, a dumb, silly, amped up, like, uh, you know, 80s style action movie. Uh, I just yeah, wish I that they had committed to that aspect of it rather than think like, oh, we got to elevate this to high art, guys. Uh, we're going to yeah, really say something here. That was here. definitely their failing. And I do think the 80s action film is fun. I, I said it earlier. I'm going to repeat it. I think the movie is good when it's good, but it's pretty much never great. Yeah, and I think it's a huge mistake. Really good. I think it's a huge mistake for them to like, and I I think at the time, like this is totally divorced from it now. I think this movie actually is more enjoyable to watch now in 2019 than it was in the 90s and the early 2000s because so much of like the the hype and the like promotion of this was like Akira, 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 the new Akira, the new Akira. And it's like, you compare this to Akira, you're d- disappointed. 
you know, you compare a lot of things to Akira, you're going to be disappointed. It's just very hard to, you know, live up to that. It would be like, you know, if you released a film and you told all the critics, like, guys, this is definitely better than Citizen Kane. And I'm just making up Citizen Kane because, like, nerds love to throw out Citizen Kane as this, like, you know, great film. But, like, the second you're doing that, you're setting yourself up for failure. But, like, you know, ADB yeah. was like, we want to have, like, a, a super blockbuster that is bigger than anything else. And this is the closest shot that we've got to it. And for a long time in the 90s, they kept trying to finance or, you know, co-produce or what have you various anime titles with the hopes of being, like, this next Akira. And they were all, like, super bad. Like, things like Sin the Movie... Things like, um, you know, God, there's just like um, just a bunch of other companies are trying to to market like their thing as that. And nothing to this day for 30 years has ever managed to quite occupy the same cultural space as Akira. I don't think anyone can. I think it was like such a product of its time. It's still a great movie. It's still a great manga. I highly recommend it. But, um, you know, even Otomo himself, like he's pissed that he can't quite grow out from the shadow of Akira. Like whenever he gives interviews, he's like, Oh, I forgot about that years ago. I've, I've moved on. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Katsuhiro <laughs> yeah. Otomo. Cause you know, it, it just drives them up the wall that when international artists like say, Oh, we're doing Katsuhiro Otomo tribute and everybody draws something from Akira. And it's like, yeah, he's like, dude, I did that when I was like in, in my twenties or whatever it is. And I, I'm still at it for 30 more years. And everyone's like, yeah, we know. You know, because <laughs> the thing is, like, he's made good stuff since. He, you know, I like memories. I like, you know, um, the various anthology things that he's done, um, you know, like Short Piece and, you know, Labyrinth Tales and, you know, what have you. I like, um, you know, Metropolis, like I said. But again, a lot of those things were things that he maybe wasn't necessarily the director for the whole thing. He just kind of was a supervisor for parts of it or, you know, oversaw p- bits of it. And like, you know, the other people under it were kind of what made it great. Um, in this case, you know, uh, I, I just think that it, it just fell apart and you can like analyze it as like, you know, this weird debacle, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think just as watching it now cold without like that, like baggage on it, you'll still not think it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. But at the very <laughs> least, you know, you'll think like, okay, this, these parts were cool. I like this aspect of it. I just wish that they'd maybe uh, not given it 10 passes. Yeah, it, it definitely has a lot of Akira in it from a visual perspective. It moves in the same way. It it looks like it was animated by the same people because it, it kind of was. And it, it has that feeling. But, you know, when I was watching it from a plot perspective, it actually made me think of Dimension W. It's... Mm-hmm pretty similar in a sort of high level way you've got the stoic wildly skilled protagonist who comes from an elite military group you have a couple of different groups vying for uh macguffins that have strange and dangerous powers and you have some higher level stuff that has to do with um human consciousness and their places in the world and dimension w is just a much better choice than this yeah but it definitely so here's has like, its I'm going to read you a funny quote because this is from the like E Online like you know review of Spriggan, which is like, okay, get out of here. See how much of this <laughs> aligns to your experience. 
A compelling mix of Raiders of the Lost Ark and James Bond adventure. Spriggan rocks the anime house and challenges the senses at every turn. Super cool. That's the quote they put on the box for Spriggan. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, I get that they obviously watched Raiders of the Lost Ark before they came up with this. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, certainly is not and, on the level of Indiana Jones style hero. And a big part of it is just that there's just so little in the way of characterization. Like, what do we know about these people to like really like understand? Like, is there really like a personality idiosyncrasies to these people that you convey throughout the film such that, you know, Hey, yeah, they, Indiana Jones, it's like people know the attitude and persona of Indiana Jones. Even, even if you just saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and only that one, you remember Indiana Jones. Like who do you remember from this movie as a character? Like you're, you're struggling yeah, to remember some, their names. There's some character test that you can do that. I, I picked it up from uh, the, Oh God, I don't remember Red the, letter re- media the reviewers. Yes, thank you. Red Letter Media, when they're talking about the prequel trilogy for Star Wars. Right, like describe them like, without saying their job or, you know, without ever, like yeah, someone who's never seen Yeah, if you can talk thing. about them without talking about their profession or what they look like. And there's like one or two other criteria, but it's basically take away all of the things that don't have to do with what they, what their personality is and what their goals are. If you can take those things away and you still can describe the character. You've got a good character, but if all they are is the job that they do and the clothes that they wear doing it, then you don't have a character. Yeah. And this Um, definitely falls into that category. I would definitely agree with that. (laughs) So, uh, I think, uh, I think we've kind of covered it. Uh, do we have any final thoughts on the movie itself? I mean, I, I, oh I God, sort of, wi- so I've, been, I've been hearing your terrorist cat. I just wasn't saying anything. Um, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, there are aspects of this film that I really want to enjoy. And I, I just think that, um, you know, I, having never read like a significant amount of Hiroshi Takashige's manga, I mean, um, I, I don't really know how many of his other, like, um, titles that he you worked on like Spriggan seems to be the most famous thing that he ever made Um, yeah I looked up the list of his work and I didn't know any of it right all I know is that they 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 made changes for this film and I'm pretty convinced that that entire second half of it especially uh had nothing to do with like what's in that comic um Mm -hmm. and like but as far as the art I mean, um, you know, just visually, like, this is a technical achievement of a film, more than it is, like, an actual, like, functioning piece of entertainment. Because, like, when you look at the sort of effort that they took into creating these backgrounds, into creating some of these objects, like, um, you know, we mentioned the director had worked on Stink Bomb, um, which was a short for Katsuro Otomo's Memories anthology. Uh, the director of that particular short was a gentleman named Tensai Okamura, who's worked on things like Darker Than Black and things like that. But they had him just do gun designs on this. And the guns are super cool. You know, like you got your fat man chain gun and you got the crazy pistol. And, you know, Jean's got like, you know, his, you know, SMG. And 
you know, there's there's portions of this movie that just um, it just the the sum like it's just like the whole is less than the sum of its parts. Unfortunately, like you know, just yeah, from the like the, the sure. talent that they've got, like for doing the animation, for doing these illustrations, for doing these design works. You know, given the pedigree of the other stuff they made in the past, you really just you expect better. And um, you know, Spriggan just is ultimately a disappointment but like i i do think just as as a piece of like visual art that it's that it is quite still accomplished even even 20 plus years after its day yeah so our recommendation i guess if you want to see this movie um is to watch it without volume i guess (laughs) (laughs) it's fine it's a totally fine thing to watch it is not a complete train wreck it is not uninteresting or unfun at least not the whole time it's got a lot of redeeming qualities it just forgets about them frequently so if you want to check it out and if you like it a lot more power to you um so yeah it's also available for free on youtube i don't know how long that will be true but it's probably been true for a while and i don't think there's a lot of competition yeah yeah there was a playstation one spriggan game uh, which, oh, is, yeah. which is real bad, by the way. It's it's made by From Software, who nowadays is known for making Dark Souls. Um, so perhaps this is so they've come a long way. Yeah, I, you might say that. Um, you know, certainly, <laughs> even though even then though, like when I thought of From Software in the late '90s, I'm like, oh hell yeah, these are the guys who made Armored Core. And yeah, I mean, this game, the Spriggan game, never came out in uh, in English. It was Japan only. Uh, it's called Spriggan Lunar Verse. As I look at the cover of it. Uh, and it is uh, when you look at some if you look up the video footage of people playing this game, um, that is uh, it's pretty bad. Uh, and that, that would be like, you know, the experience of like, just imagine like, you know, paying the 60 bucks for this game, thinking that you're going to get like this awesome thing. And then you get like, you know, a really lackluster PS1, you know, a tie in sort of game. Um, that's kind of the experience of watching Spriggan. Like at the time when I first saw this movie in the early 2000s. Uh, you know, I was let down by it. Like, even though it's like this great looking movie, I was like, oh my God, this is what they've been hyping up for all this time. Cause you know, ADV, they really put everything, like every ounce of their muscle. And they were like the biggest anime publisher in the United States in like English speaking world, um, you know, for that era. And this was what they, you know, put all their muscle behind. And the end product was like, okay, man, that's like, talk about, you know, disappointing in terms of like the level of expectation. And so I think at the very least, you know, that is no longer a factor because this is basically forgotten to, you know, history at this point. It is, it, you know, it makes me think of an uh, analogy that you pulled out a a few, well, I don't know how many minutes ago, but a little while ago in our conversation, you were talking about Warner brothers fucking things up by having too many cooks in the kitchen. This is like justice league. It has some really fun parts and it is perfectly valid to like the movie, but objectively, it's a mess. I think that's a really and, good analogy. Yeah, so... Because, like, Justice League is you know, it's not a good movie, but it's also not the worst film ever made. It's like, you can see, no. like, they were like, hey, remember Avengers? Let's do that. In this case, Spriggan is like, hey, remember Akira? Let's do that, only not as good. Yeah, yeah. it is the Justice League to Akira's Avengers. Although Akira's probably better than Avengers, but still... <laughs> well, that's that's subjective. 
<laughs> yeah. I like Avengers more personally, but uh, I think Akira I, might be a better made film. Yeah, well, I, you remember me having that conversation with that person that wrote to us about it, and they basically threw a fit about Akira not being as good as everybody remembers it being because they kept on falling asleep. And one of the things they yeah. said to me about it was they were like, it doesn't have enough action in it. And uh, I fell asleep after the first 10 minutes. And I was like, the start of the movie is a fucking motorcycle chase with a psychic kid in a street exploding things. How is that not enough action for you? Yeah, not enough action. Sorry. Give me uh, Transformers from Michael Bay, please. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I think that's a good place to leave it. We're going to talk to you guys in our normal outro about where you can find us on the social medias and stuff like that. But uh, we, of course, have a special guest today from Anime World Order. So, um, Daryl, would you like to tell them about the podcast and where they can find you and your podcast's related things? Sure. Our podcast is over at www.animeworldorder.com where you can find uh, links to all of the episodes that we have done since day one. It goes back quite a number of years. So if you kind of want a time capsule into, you know, anime's uh, state not too long ago, but, you know, pretty long ago in terms of anime days, we're the place to do it. A lot of stuff we cover is a com- combination of old and new stuff, though we have the reputation as being old people and covering a lot of older anime titles as of um, hopefully by the time this episode comes out our new episode will be out where we'll be reviewing something that just finished airing like you know a couple of weeks ago so we try to mix things up most of the new anime titles that we review are because we review it in the pages of otaku usa magazine that's over at www.otakusamagazine.com and it's also available uh both in newsstands in print as well as digitally uh, you can go check it out that way. I'm on Twitter at D-A-R-Y-L-S-U-R-A-T. Most of what I do is just uh, retweet a bunch of trash on your timeline, though. So, uh, you know, if you just want to <laughs> get a bunch of garbage, you know, in your feed, I am the place to do that. We also have an Anime World Order Twitter account, but mostly is just um, an automated thing to let people know when new episodes come out. So expect a post from there, like, you know, once a month or thereabouts. So uh, that's basically... Uh, the stuff I've got going on. Uh, I also have a Twitch channel over at uh, twitch.tv slash S-U-R-A-T-D, uh, where what we do is we have, uh, you know, for people, if we meet a donation incentive, you get to choose the thing that we get to review. And so um, that'll be not the episode that I'm about to release, but the next episode after that, we will be fulfilling a donation incentive. So uh, look forward cool. to that. I'm going to have some pieces up on the Anime News Network very soon. Um, you know, at least, uh, at least one, but I believe there's going to be three pieces, you know, between now and the next couple of months. So, uh, look forward to that. And, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. It's awesome to have you. And yeah, um, this has been, we're, it's been great. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, listen to the outro to find us and, um, we will see you next time for our regularly scheduled program. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions. With sound editing done by Rashad English of Plain English Productions. He's our level six sound wizard. Level up. Our podcast is ad-free and we want to keep it that way. If you want to keep it that way too, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B and S Get Jumped. 
Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Get Jumped. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New episodes come out every Sunday on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Buzzsprout, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.